0: Well, let's start in Romans chapter 1, so Romans chapter 1, I have a title here, in the chapter heading here, it says, The Gospel Exalted, just notice that, so, you know, we hear this word gospel used often, right, preach the gospel, but uh, it's important to know what is this gospel, right, What is what does this mean, gospel? And uh, Paul, if you notice as we read through here, he, t- he talks a lot about the gospel. He actually explains what it is, and he exalts it, lifts it up. In fact, he says in verse sixteen that he's not he, he's not ashamed of the gospel, which means that some people are ashamed of it, right, or afraid to uh, be associated with those who proclaim it, who live it. Paul said he wasn't ashamed of it. There's some element in the gospel that you know, would cause the man, the natural man, to be ashamed. Paul says that he had a revelation that the gospel it is the power of God. <clears throat> Summed up. That's what the gospel does, right? That's why when we believe in it, something happens. So you know if you if you are part of the gospel well, and love the gospel, if it's the power of God for you, for salvation. Right? For each one of us. Every day, not just you know, one day the Lord set me free or I got born again, but we all know, right? Every day we're battling thoughts in the mind. And we got to overcome. And the evidence of whether or not the gospel is working is I got peace and joy in my heart, right? Because the mind of the spirit is life and peace. It produces life, it produces joy. If if the life isn't there, the gospel is not it's not effective in my life. It's not as though it doesn't work. As Paul was saying to the Jews, right? The Jews they heard the gospel, but it says that they didn't mix it with faith, and so they are many of them were scattered in the wilderness, and they didn't find a life in it. But Paul said that there's power in this gospel. So the question is, is, do I see the power in my life every day through the gospel, right? Am I allowing the gospel to be proclaimed to me? Am I believing in it? It's for salvation to everyone who believes. That's the key. That's the key whether the gospel has power or has no power. It's not as though the gospel doesn't have power. It's as though it depends upon whether I Believe it and receive it. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. It says that in this gospel, something is revealed. This is where the power is. It says the righteousness of God is revealed in this gospel. That's why we gather together and that's why we read the word of God and we hear the word of God we listen to the voice of the Spirit. Because we won't even know how to live righteously. We don't know. Our righteousness is filthy rags to God. And if I go by what my thoughts are, I'll deceive myself. I'll deceive myself. If I don't hear the voice of the Spirit, or have the Word of God, the Gospel preached to me, I'll deceive myself, thinking I have a righteousness, a form of godliness. It will actually have no power. That's what the Pharisees found. They had no power. They had a lot of knowledge of things. But righteousness wasn't revealed. It's revealed here. It says, from faith to faith. So, God preaches, the Gospel preaches to us things that the human mind and heart can't comprehend and do, and, It's impossible, right? But with God, it's possible to those who believe. It says, the righteous man shall live by faith. Your righteousness comes by faith. So, let's go back to verse 1 and read about this gospel. Paul, he said, he was a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul knew that his purpose in his life was to be set apart to proclaim this gospel because this gospel had power to change people. It said, this gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So, you know, all the prophets, they prophesied until John, and after John, Jesus Christ came. And this was the fullness of the gospel. Apart from Jesus, before Jesus came, it wasn't the full, the full gospel. Now we have the full the gospel, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. It says, which he promised through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, That's the other element about the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. And here it says it's concerning His Son. Jesus. Jesus is the gospel unveiled. So Jesus is the gospel unveiled, revealed. The Word of God, right? In Him, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. This is the gospel. The Word of God. Now here's an important verse. A very important verse. Concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. What does that mean? What is that Why does Paul preach this? Why is this so important to Paul that he has to preach that Jesus was actually born of the descendant of David, a seed according to the flesh? What he's saying is, Jesus was the son of man, Jesus was a human, human nature. Just like us, shared in flesh and blood, all these things. Why is that so important? <clears throat> well, I'm gonna go let's go there, but let's read verse four. It also says Jesus was declared the Son of God with the power or with power by the resurrection from the dead. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, it became evident that he was indeed the Son of God. Because God, as he laid himself down on the cross, God by the Spirit of God raised him up, declaring him to be the Son of God according to the Spirit of Holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So we see here that the Gospel involves two things. It involves Jesus, Christ Himself, being the Son of Man and the Son of God. Born of a virgin, born of a woman, but the seed of the Holy Spirit, the seed of of God. Why is that so important to believe that? We say, we believe these things, we know these things. My question is, do we really believe it? What does that really mean? been pondering some of these things and things that I've been hearing and reading and meditating on. So let's read about this Jesus who was born according to the flesh. What does that mean? Let's look at this verse here, First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. You heard this confession, the mystery of godliness? <clears throat> You're waiting for some great mystery and you read it and you, you just shake your head wondering, what is it? I don't understand this, right? I did that for many, many years just recently this has really been sealed in my heart <clears throat> it says in verse 16 1 Timothy chapter 3 and by common confession great is the mystery of godliness so this means that its mystery means it's it's covered it's not unveiled to the natural man it's only revealed to those who walk by faith according to Romans 1 right the righteousness of God the mystery of God is going to be revealed from faith to faith you're going to have to believe what, what this gospel is telling you You're going to have to believe it, whether you really believe it's true or not. And it says here, He, or some translations, God, God, who was revealed in the flesh, yet was vindicated in the Spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. That's the Gospel. Right? Same as Paul preached before. What does that mean? Jesus was revealed in the flesh, but yet He was justified, vindicated by the Spirit, which implies that he, was, he didn't vindicate himself by his own flesh. Because if Jesus' flesh was divine, apart from, different from ours, something great in his flesh, he could have been vindicated by his own flesh. He was not vindicated by his own flesh. It says he was vindicated in the spirit, but he was revealed in the flesh, which means he had flesh and blood like you and me. And you say, well, yeah skin and bones and all that no 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 <clears throat> not just that not just that um, let's go to Hebrews and let's find out what that means <clears throat> chapter chapter 2 <clears throat> mm-hmm. alright <clears throat> let's go in verse let's start in chapter 2 um, let's start at verse nine. We do see him. We see Jesus, who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death. So Jesus actually suffered like us. Death. We understand that, right? That made him fleshly. He experienced pain. He experienced suffering. What kind of suffering did he experience? Just physical suffering? No, it wasn't just physical suffering, but that's part of it crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So, he suffered that he might taste death for us. Now it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, so to bring us to glory and eternal life with him, he had to suffer, it was fitting that he would, to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brothers. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. Because he himself suffered and sanctified, just like we have to follow after him. So now Jesus is uniting us by calling us brothers. Why does he do that? Because he was born according to the seed of David. He was natural, a natural man like you and me. But he had the seed. God was in him. God manifested in Jesus. God was in Jesus. God was in Jesus. Now look at verse 14. Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who has the power of death that is the devil. So so did Jesus have to become like you and me just so that he could physically die naturally, suffer naturally, and destroy death? Or is it more than that? Well, let's keep reading. And might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives for assuredly he does not give help to angels but he gives help to the seed of Abraham like him, he was of the seed through Abraham, David, all the way therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things do you believe that? do you believe that Jesus is like you in all things we're going to find out what that means that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation or a substitute for the sins of people he had to become a substitute for us so in order to become our substitute he had to be made like us in every single way every way exactly and what does that mean verse 18 for since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted this is the climax here What it's saying is that Jesus' sufferings weren't just physical sufferings. It wasn't just, you know, like that movie, the, the Passion. You watch that, you can get emotional, and I haven't seen it myself, but uh, you can get emotional, and you know, Jesus was whipped and beaten and all that. Yes, it's true. That was just an outward expression. Yes, we see that the wickedness of men towards Jesus manifested in physical beating and hostility and all that. But what was more than that is he also experienced a suffering within himself against his own will in his own soul. If that were not true, Jesus would not say, have said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I don't want to have to suffer, but not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done, which means that Jesus had a will separate from the Father's, just like me and you. Now, is it sin to have a will? No. It's not sin to have your will. It's sin to live by your will. So Jesus was made of flesh and blood like you and me. He had bones, skin, all these things, yes. Natural soul, body, spirit. But he also had a will like you and me. And in having that will, that means his will had its own desires. And those desires could be influenced through temptation by the devil. Through his flesh. Otherwise, those temptations would have been void and useless. It would have been vain for Satan to tempt Jesus because you wouldn't be able to be tempted. God cannot be tempted, but Jesus had flesh and blood and was like us. He had his own will. And since he was tempted, he suffered. He denied these things. He denied them. What does that mean? It means like he was like me. He was exactly like me. There's no excuse. This is what this is telling us. I'll explain this even more. Let's read another confirming verse. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says here, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with my weakness. So, if someone wasn't in your shoes, right? Exactly, he could not sympathize with you, could he? You would be able to say you don't understand because you don't know what I'm struggling with. Right? A drug addict comes to me and says, "You don't understand uh, the temptations that I deal with, drugs." Say, well, yeah. I, regarding drugs, I don't understand because if someone comes to me, I, I'm not tempted in that way, but. I do have the same flesh as you, because I get tempted in my flesh, and passions and desires are just like you, in different areas, different areas. So what that means is Jesus could sympathize with us because He had a flesh like me that had desires, but He never entertained them. He didn't give assent to them. These are things that I'm just the Lord's confirming in my heart. It's like you, yeah, we believe that, but do I really believe it? Right? If I really believed it, then these verses would really impact me. Jesus can sympathize with us in our weaknesses because it says he's been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. He was tempted which means his flesh was suffering when the temptation came. Jesus' flesh was burning when he was denying it. He was resisting it. It was painful. If it wasn't painful then how would you say some of these tricky verses like let's look look, look at this one here. Verse 7 chapter 5 verse 7 In the days of his flesh Okay? With his will, when he was tempted, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears. You think he suffered when those temptations came? Jesus was crying out to the one who could save him from death, spiritual death, from, if he would have entertained those temptations. He would have found the same death as you and me if we go on sinning and commit sin. And he was heard because of his piety. He feared God. And he cried out so much when those temptations came. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. It's when you allow that thought. If a thought comes into your mind, you have a choice to say no to the thought or entertain it. If you entertain it, you've sinned. If you resist it, the temptation is not the sin. Jesus was able to allow these temptations. were able to come to Jesus. And when they came into his mind, like when you, when you read about Jesus in the wilderness, right? when he uh, hears these things, turn the stone to bread, that's a temptation, right? It's a thought that came into his head. The devil wasn't standing there in front of him telling him to do these things, right? If that was the case, then the Bible would say here, Jesus was tempted differently than we are. The devil appeared to him. No, he doesn't appear to me. No, he was tempted just like I'm tempted when the devil puts thoughts in my mind, through my flesh, my own desires. I'm tempted, right? By my own desires. And the devil comes, and these desires come alive, and then I get tempted, and I have a choice to get them out of my head or to think about them. And when these things came to Jesus, he resisted them. And although he was a son, see, although, that's important, although he was the son of God, he had to still learn obedience because of the, the part of the flesh that he had. From the things which he suffered, in denying that will, when he had that flesh will, see, if Jesus didn't have his own will, he would have been just the son of God, not the son of man. Because he had his own will, he was the son of man like you and me. And so he learned obedience by denying and suffering in those temptations and putting them off. And having been made perfect, that's how he was made perfect. Because every temptation that came, he had to pass a test. It was like grade 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way up to 33 years old until the cross was the very last test. And that's why he said, it's finished. I finished all these temptations. Because if Jesus had not been tempted, he wouldn't have been made perfect because perfection and holiness comes by overcoming a trial and a test. Until you pass it, it doesn't, it's not accounted to you as the holiness in that sense, right? You believe righteousness, but when you become perfected in holiness and mature, it's only when you pass a test. It's like this. <clears throat> Adam in the garden. <clears throat> as I've heard it before. You know, Adam was made in the image of God, right? Just like God. Perfect. Was he with sin when he was created? No. He was not with sin. And you say, well, some people say, well, Jesus was God. You know, he wasn't quite like you. you. He didn't have the same, quite the same passions and desires and quite the same thing as well. It says that Jesus was the second Adam. Jesus was the second Adam, meaning, or sorry, I didn't say his last Adam. Jesus was the last Adam. So meaning that he was a type of Adam, just like an Adam. Adam, before he sinned, was made perfect. But did Adam have a ability to sin before sin was in his flesh, per se? Yes, he did. Adam could sin, even though he was perfect, without sin, because he had a flesh. He had a will. He could be... Tempted and the devil knew that. And so just like Adam was tempted when the devil came through Eve, Jesus was tempted exactly the same way. It says he was made he the likeness of our flesh. And that's the exact likeness, our flesh. Not with sin in it, but the flesh the, with its own desires and its own will. And so to become perfect, he had to overcome a test. So Satan would come to Adam and Eve and say, Eat from this tree. You know, it's good, it's gonna make you wise and all these things and I don't know, you know, and you get it, that you have the knowledge, right? We read our Bibles, we have the knowledge, and we believe some things, but when does that actually work itself out in us, when the test comes, right? You know, you learn some things, and you think that you're doing good, and I, find, I think I'm doing good sometimes, and all of a sudden, I'm talking about this, something comes up, and you realize you just crashed, you failed the test big time, and you thought you would overcome, because in your head, you just believed you are doing so good, right? And then the test comes, and it shows you that you really don't believe, and so the same thing had happened with Adam and Eve. And there they were, and the devil came, and he craved after that. He started believing the devil's lies. And so he had heard the gospel, which is the message, right, from God, don't eat from the tree to him. That was his message. And he had a test, whether he believed. And the evidence was that he did not believe. How much you tell me that Adam believed that he would eat from the tree and die, he didn't believe it. He would say, yes, I believe it, but what does it mean to believe? Right? Paul says in Romans 1, he preached the obedience of the faith. The faith that leads to obedience. And Adam sinned and he fell. And that's where sin came in. And we have that. We have that. But Jesus had the same temptations and the same desires. Now, look in James chapter 1. You can see that here. Jesus did not have sin. But he had a will and desires. And those desires come from the flesh. And we can see how sin comes in just like it came with Adam. Mm -hmm. James chapter 1. Verse 14. It says, Each one is tempted and he is, when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Now that lust is also translated desire. Okay? So what happens if a desire comes and I don't let it to carry me away? Is that I, a I sin? well I sin dwell in me? No. No. Because you have to, it's like having a test, right? Something comes up and you, you feel something in your heart. You want to revile, you want to say something or do something and you say no. That's not sin. You got the victory. But if you let it come into your head and you have these speculations and premeditated thoughts against somebody, or you have a desire to satisfy your flesh, and you entertain it, and you dwell on it, now it says here that the lust, when it conceives, it gives birth to sin. It's now conceived. It's been planted in your heart, and your flesh comes in agreement, and you say, yes, I want that. That is sin. So, Jesus, because he had flesh like you and me, and was tempted... He experienced these sufferings when these desires came in. Right? Lord, please, if it's possible, you know, take it. Account- but not my will, no, not my will. <coughs> Whatever you want, Lord, I'm not. You can entertain this. <coughs> and so we see here <clears throat> that Jesus had to become perfected like Adam. When Adam was tested, he failed. But when Jesus was tested in the same similar type of way as you and me, when Satan came to him, turn the stone to bread, feed your flesh. Right, that flesh that you and me have. His flesh was hungry. Naturally, yes, but the flesh, would have been, it would have been sin for him to turn the stone to bread. It would have been sin, and he was hungry. It shows us that Jesus had cravings. Right? He had cravings. He had desires. The desires you and me have, Jesus would have had. But he never, ever, ever entertained them. He denied them, and he suffered. So why is that so important? This mystery of Godliness, to believe that Jesus was manifested, God in the flesh... Because if I believe that, then I can see how much Jesus suffered for me every time he was tempted. Just like you imagine yourself every single time in your life you've been tempted. How much pain and suffering Jesus had to deny every time. Every time. And on the cross he took all our sins and denied it. And how did he do it? Because he was also the Son of God, because the Spirit of God was in him, vindicated by the Spirit. So we say, well, Jesus had such an advantage now, right? No, he didn't. Because, in the sense that, we now, when we repent, can believe it. And what do we get? The Holy Spirit. Now we know there's hidden sin. This is one thing we know is that because sin did come to Adam, there's hidden things we don't see. But as far as denying the things we know and resisting them, we have now the Holy Spirit and we can say no. We can say no to ungodliness and worldly lust. That's what Titus teaches us. If it's not true, then we, yeah, we're liars. Right? Or God's a liar. But it is true that we can say no to all sin. Now we know that we will stumble, we know that things will happen, and so we've got to confess our sins and repent. It's because we are in unbelief, that's why we've sinned. Not because it's not possible, it's because of unbelief in my heart. Because I don't really know belief. So now I'm equipped, if I believe and repent with the Holy Spirit, I can deny my passions and deny my desires. Because Jesus did. And that's why I can be saved. Because I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus suffered with me. He died for my sins. And He denied sin He denied sin every time he had a a temptation. And this gospel, we need to understand it. Otherwise, we'll start saying, you know, I have an excuse. Because Jesus, it was different for Jesus than it is for me. And then I justify myself. And I believe the lie. I believe the lie. Now Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. So as he, you know how you experience the power of the gospel? The same way Jesus did when you deny yourself, you're taking up your cross, that's uniting yourself with the death of Jesus, so that as you're dying, what happens? You've, you've experienced it before. When you die, deny something, you feel the life start to come. Right? The, the, the power comes, the joy. Remember Jesus said these things I have spoken to you, these commandments that my joy might be in you. That is the resurrection life. It's the joy that comes as you deny yourself and deny your passions that resurrection power that was in Jesus that made him the son of God this is what declares us sons with him if we are led by the spirit of God we are sons of God and if by the spirit we put to death these passions and desires we experience this power of the gospel right? the message of the cross Paul said is power of those who believe the message of the cross that's 1 Corinthians chapter 1 it says now here in verse five we read this right. Paul preached this gospel, which he we received grace now, and Paul received this grace to bring about obedience of the faith. When you start to believe that Jesus suffered, and every time he was tempted, and that now you can have his spirit working in you, you'll realize that your that faith that faith is going to give you a heart to obey. Because you're going to start to believe the power of the gospel, that's going to change you. Remember the key is. salvation to everyone who believes. We need to believe this, that Jesus had to suffer with us and and was able to sympathize with me and you. Now let's look in verse 18. Because what happens is, if we don't believe this, and we start to listen to the devil telling us that we've got it harder, or it's more difficult for us, and there's an excuse that I can't overcome, what we're doing is we are suppressing truth of the gospel and that's in verse 18 it says here for the wrath of God is revealed just like the righteousness of God in verse 17 is revealed God's wrath can also be revealed but we have a choice it's not his desire and his will that his wrath be revealed on men but it's because of ungodliness it says here against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men now why is that ungodliness and righteousness there it says they suppress the truth and righteousness whenever We get tempted and we don't want to overcome because we love our sin. What we do is we start to suppress truth about something, about his gospel, about what's in our hearts. And that's where deception comes. We start to believe a lie and then we get deceived. And then our hearts get hardened and we continue in sin. And so we suppress the truth and righteousness when we start to deny that Jesus can make me free and I don't have to entertain these thoughts and these desires. Because what is that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident with, to them. Did you know that God designed us with body, soul, and spirit and conscience and all these things so that we might know this truth right right and wrong even in our consciences so that we are without excuse. Right. And what does the gospel do? All that what the gospel does is that the gospel is like a, a light super light that just reveals those things, what you already know, that your conscience is beginning to tell you. Sin, right? And so when the gospel is preached, you get more conviction. That's what happens, right? The Spirit comes, it says, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So without the Spirit, the conscience is there, but the Spirit comes and you begin strong conviction in your life. And as you hear the truth, you start to realize, oh no, I have to make a choice here, because the fear comes now. I can fear God, or I can fear... Losing something, right? Losing my life or whatever I'm going to lose. Now it says here that these things are evident through different things, right? Creation, the invisible attributes of God, and all these things. And it says here, even though they knew these things, mankind knows these things. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And that's the beginning of what? Verse 24 says, I'll skip some parts here, but therefore God gave them over in lusts. No. do you see now why you have problems and when these things come lust, strong lusts and passions where did that come from well it's there in verse 18 suppressing the truth I didn't really believe that there was power in Jesus name I don't really believe this gospel that Jesus was the Son of man but the Son of God and he denied sin he resisted the devil he suffered he cried out. God heard his cry and saved him and so therefore I believe in Jesus I can too be saved in the name of Jesus so we deny these, the gospel we say the gospel doesn't work it's not really true we don't say that in our mouths but in our hearts and so then we get this some thankfulness because oh, we get miserable and think about what we can have and all these things and so we don't honor him as God or give thanks and we start to worship the creation instead of God we think about what I can get and what I can have and this creation that God made for us that we might look back to God and say, well, who are we, Lord? Dust, that you have mercy on us. And we start to give, uh, entertain these desires, and then God increases those, allows those desires to be increased and gives us over to them. And the lusts get so strong into our hearts, we wonder why these lusts are so strong. Because we're suppressing truth. We're denying the truth. We don't really believe. We exchange, verse 25, God's truth for a lie. That's exactly what Eve did in the garden. God says, no, don't eat from the tree. You right? will die. Satan put doubts. And as soon as Satan can put a doubt in your mind, is it really true? You know, Can it really overcome these things? And then you believe the serpent's lie and worship and serve the creature than the creator. That's what happens. How do you serve the creature? Well, that's what happened to Adam and Eve. Right? They listened to the serpent and they are giving their hearts to him. They're worshiping him because... He believed what he said and not what God said, and you believe lies. You're believing the serpent and the things of the world and all that's in the world. And for this reason, God gave them over to degrading power. So God can, this is where God allows sin to become so manifest, to so become to a place where we're so low in our life. We wonder how did I ever get to this place? And we realize that we it all started in unbelief in the gospel. We didn't really believe the gospel, and it just led to greater and greater and greater and greater and greater darkness, until we come to our senses and realize, now I'm in trouble. We didn't see that little bit of unbelief there, and we entertained the lie of the serpent, rather than giving God thanks, and believing that He's able, no matter what it looks like. <clears throat> now let's look at another testimony here, in 1 John chapter 4. And I'm going to show you that, this here is the key. This revelation we're talking about is the key in discerning what kind of spirit I have. If I have a good spirit, the spirit of truth, or if I have a spirit of error. Or if I'm going to be deceived by false prophets, or if I'm going to be discerning. Or if I'm going to overcome the Antichrist spirit in the world, or if I'm not going to overcome and bow down. This revelation is the fundamental key to all this. What we're talking about here. <clears throat> First John 4, we can see it. Love it. Do not believe every spirit. How do you get deceived? What's, why are the spirits going to deceive you? Because they want you to sin. What are they going to do? They're going to tell you lies. We saw that, right? Exchange the truth for a lie. Because once you stop believing truth, that's when you'll be sinning. Because it's the truth that makes you free, right? If you believe the truth, that's what makes you free. As soon as you doubt, sin doesn't just pop out of nowhere. It's just suddenly I sinned. Well, you start. You start believing a lie. You stop believing the truth. A, a spirit. If you receive a different gospel which is a lie, what do you receive? A different spirit, right? You receive a different spirit. The serpent came, a different spirit, began to speak lies to Adam and Eve, they received the lies, and then what happened? And then sin came, right? Sin. So many false prophets are going out into the world, and we need to see whether they're from God or not. And this is how you know. This you know, the Spirit of God. How are we going to know if the Spirit of God is in me, and if I'm loving the truth, and He's giving me His Spirit? It says here, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now this is here the test. This this proves that this coming in the flesh is not just Jesus coming in the flesh and blood and bones. This proves that. Because many people believe that. But we know that they're not the spirit of God. The Mormons believe that. And uh, Jehovah Witnesses. And uh, Catholics. And all. a lot of people believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Muslim Muslims, don't they believe that Jesus maybe he was a the prophet? They say, Right? A lot of people believe that. So if I believe that, does that mean I'm saved? Does that mean I have the Spirit of God? That cannot be it. It's what Paul was talking about. This mystery of godliness that Jesus was revealed in the flesh and was tempted in the same ways with the same flesh. Those same desires. And if we realize that Jesus was in that place and He overcame sin, that's going to give us hope. It's going to create a desire to love the truth and to want to be free. And so it's important that we confess that. And so we know, if people don't believe that, that they have a different spirit. That's how we know. That's the test. See, the way we used to understand this is Jesus Christ coming in my flesh. If I really believe that I can walk as Jesus walked, because that's what John is talking about. If you read chapter two, he's talking that we are going to walk as Jesus walked. So I understood it, and it's the same principle. The principle is the same, that that I believe that I can walk as His Spirit's in me, in my flesh, just like Jesus. But in actually what it's saying is that Jesus was God in the flesh. He had like flesh like me, and He walked holy and perfect. So if I confess that, understand that principle, then I believe that when He comes into me, I can have the victory like Jesus had the victory. Now we know we're not going to be perfected on this side. No. If anyone says He's without sin, He's a liar. We know that, but we can't. Start to entertain these thoughts that oh well it's sin and you just keep sinning. No, we have to confess Jesus in the flesh. He had these desires. He overcame. And if every spirit, any spirit does not confess this, does not believe this, he's not from God. Because what's happening is he's just deceiving you because you're not going to have a desire to overcome <coughs> sin and look at Jesus. You're just going to entertain sin, think I have it difficult and these things and make excuses. We have to confess this. And so all the prophets can prophesy many, many things. But if they are not confessing Jesus wholly in the flesh, like you and me, like where Adam was, Adam was and, and didn't sin, it's a deception. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. That there is where Antichrist comes in. That's how Antichrist got into Adam and Eve, when he came and deceived them and sin came into their hearts. Which you've heard is coming, and now is already in there. Do you believe that the Antichrist is coming? We know the Antichrist is coming. So we say, when the Antichrist comes, I'm not going to bow, I'm not going to receive the mark, I'm not going to listen to him. Well, you're deceived, because if you don't believe this, you will in your heart, secretly or however you do it, because the word of God is true, and every man is a liar. And if you don't believe this, it says here that this spirit of Antichrist is already in the world, and the person who doesn't confess this, that person is not going to overcome this Antichrist, which means against Christ he's not confessing Christ speaking the same as that word confession means speak the same as as Jesus is in this world so are we that's the verse following in verse uh, 17 we can see it here by this is love by this love is perfected with us that we may have confidence in that day of judgment how am I going to have confidence when I stand before Jesus when he judges my deeds my actions he's going to judge my deeds I'm justified by faith but he judges me by my works because as he is so are we in this world that's what it means to confess Jesus in the flesh. As He was in the flesh and overcame. And I believe that. If I believe that, I'm going to be able to walk as Jesus walked. His Spirit's going to cause me to overcome in every area, little by little, to overcome. Right? From faith to faith. Just believing that. This is why I'm sharing this gospel and why John and Paul and these apostles preached this gospel. Because they knew that if they could get this into their heart and believe this gospel, they would have a desire to look to Jesus every time sin came in life and say, Jesus, I call on your name, and I'm going to suffer and cry with loud tears, tears like you did, until I get the victory and walk like you walk. Start walking away from that sin and walking with Jesus. Now listen, <clears throat> this spirit's already in the world, and if you listen to people that don't preach the truth and have a different gospel and fellowship with people like that, they will overcome you. And that's what John says here, that these saints recognize that, and they they got the victory. See, look at it. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Who's them? Them is, verse 3, the spirit of Antichrist, which is in the world. Right? John's saying, You have started to believe Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, and now you're overcoming them. They're not overcoming you, overtaking you. You're not fellowshipping with those in the world and practicing the lusts and passions of the world because you recognize that that's the spirit of the world. And they're not walking as Jesus walked, they're not confessing Jesus in the flesh maybe with lips, but not. Their actions aren't confessing it. They're not testifying it by the way they're walking. And so therefore, greater is he who is in you. You see that? Confessing Jesus Christ in your flesh. This is what's going to happen when you believe that. When you believe Jesus Christ came to the flesh, Jesus is going to be confessed in you. And greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. That's the spirit of antichrist. Because you believe that, Christ in you, is giving you grace and power, that power of the resurrection through the cross, so that you don't have to submit to the worldly passions and the worldly desires and the worldly fellowship that your flesh is tempted with and desire. And they speak as the world, therefore they, uh, It says, they are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. This is how you know. They're more interested in the worldly passions and desires, and if your flesh comes in agreement with it, and even your mind, and you don't shut your mind off, and if your mind continually comes there you're confessing the world and it will come out of your mouth because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and it will begin to manifest and the world will listen to them and so if we're listening to them there's a problem if we're fellowshipping there but we are from God and he who knows God listens to us and so John is saying look, we're preaching Christ coming in the flesh and Christ in us overcoming them, the world and if anyone receives that they'll have fellowship, you and me Right, because the word of God says in First John chapter one, verse six, if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we will have fellowship. So when there's not fellowship, then there's someone's not walking in the light. Right? There's the spirit of antichrist. And so if there's fellowship, and they're listening to us and they're receiving that, John said, then we know. By this we know the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. <clears throat> and this spirit of Christ is going to dwell in us and give us victory over sin. And that's the first element, the foundation of the gospel that's the gospel and from there we're going to come to know God's love because that's the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Antichrist does not know God's love we can try and have love a worldly type of love see the Gentiles can love the Gentiles and sinners can do good to sinners but what is that to you Jesus said that means nothing there's no righteousness in that in the Beatitudes he said you need to actually love your enemies that's what the spirit of Christ is going to do in you when antichrist reviles you that spirit of the world reviles you when people at your work and your place they say revile or do things around you and you you don't have grumbling or you don't have bad attitudes and you can bless them and not curse them you can pray for them then you're going to have love it's going to manifest you have the spirit of Christ you're not going to have bad thoughts in your mind you're going to have love and this is how that love manifests it goes back to Jesus verse 7 beloved let us love one another for love is from God Okay, how do I love how do I love someone how do I love my brothers? This is going to have to manifest. If you have the Spirit of Christ, a greater love for your brothers, not for the world. You're going to love the world less. This principle is taught in John 15. When you overcome, you're going to love the things of the world less and the fellowship of the world less. Your love won't be for the worldly people. The same. You're going to have a compassion for the souls, but it's not going to be like a I want to do good things and hang out and that kind of love, which we used to think, right? We're going to actually have more love for our brothers. We're going to weep for the lost have more love for our brothers and how do we get this love for one another that John's talking about he says love us from God it's going to come from God and how do I get that well everyone who loves is born of God and knows God and the one who does not love does not know God and God because God is love and in this it says by this the love of God was manifested in us how did God's love manifest in me that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him when you start to believe Jesus Christ coming in the flesh that God was revealed in the flesh you start to believe that how much he suffered for me how much he died for me how much he loved me just be thankful he saved us from our sins and this is love not that we loved him but that he loved me sent his son to die for me and he suffered every day because if he would entertain one temptation me and you would have no hope of eternal life we'd be dead in our sins damned forever And that's where love begins for your brothers. You start to believe that. Victory over sin. And then you get victory in loving your brothers where you can't love your brothers and sisters. Because it says in John 5, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. When you start to obey God and keep His commandments, it says in verse 2, by this we know that we have love for the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. So I can't even love my brothers and sisters the way the Bible says until I start to believe Jesus Christ came in the flesh and He starts coming into my flesh and I start walking as Jesus walked, that's when I will get true and more love for my brothers and sisters. I can't have love for brothers and sisters and still be abonished to sin. It's a false type of love. It's a false love. You can't. It's impossible. How can I love someone with Jesus' love and not love God? Right? You say you love your brother, whom you see, right? and you, you can't see God, but you're, not, you're breaking His commandments. <clears throat> if you love God, you cannot see, then you're going to be able to start loving your brother whom you can't see. It doesn't work the other way. So as we confess Jesus and we overcome, we're going to have love. And this love John's talking about as we recognize what Jesus has done for us. And it says verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's the revelation. If Jesus loved me, that he would suffer like this for me in the flesh. Then how much more I will abide in Him and have this love flowing from me over to my brothers and sisters. <clears throat> no one has beheld God at any time. No one no one's beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. What does that mean? What well, do you know that verse in John 13? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How? Oh. By the love that you have. As brothers and sisters for one another in your church body in your fellowship to your brothers as we have more love the world who can't see God because he's invisible you ever wonder why God's invisible he does not show himself he hides himself right the immortal invisible God why he's revealed in the flesh first through Jesus Christ and now in his church through us and it says no one has beheld God at any time but how are they going to see how is the world going to see God manifested in flesh Jesus was there 2,000 years ago John 500 brothers, they saw him after he was raised from the dead. Nobody else saw him. Apostle Paul saw him in a vision. So how am I going to believe? I can't see Jesus, right? He's going to have to manifest in my flesh through my brothers. And when we love one another, what does it say? God is, where is he? Where's Jesus? He's right here in my flesh. He's right here in my heart. And it says, and his love is going to be perfected. And then the world is going to see that. And they'll know that you're disciples. And they're going to say, I want to follow you as you follow Christ I can't see Christ but I see him what does it say about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1, one. <clears throat> it says that in these last days God spoke to us through his son how? he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature we haven't seen God right? what did Jesus say to his disciples if you've seen me you've seen the father he said No, no 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 show us the Father, and it's enough, right? Got to see it to believe it. Now we say the same thing: Show me Jesus, walking just like me, overcoming sin. I'll believe it when you show it to me, right? With my kind of flesh, denying these passions and lusts and all these things. Well, the only way someone's going to believe it is if we start to believe the gospel and His what Jesus Christ manifests in our flesh, and people see you overcoming sin, you denying the flesh, you with the fruits of the Spirit manifesting, because you're not walking the way you used to walk. You don't walk that way anymore. And what happens is, you get love in exchange for that love for the flesh in the world. You get Jesus' love. And that love is going to be manifested between you and your brothers. Not with you and your natural brothers, and you and your natural sisters. Yes, it will in a sense, but it's going to be seen according to the Word of God through you and your spiritual brothers. That's the Gospel. I can't change it. I can't. <clears throat> They're going to know you, that you're his disciples, by the love which you have for one another. That's primary. That is number one, especially of the household of the faith. Yes, we have to show kindness and love to the world. We can't. But there's not going to be fellowship there. You can't have fellowship with the light and darkness. We can have peace between them by not entertaining or reviling accusation or thought. But we can't have love and genuine fellowship, or rather, fellowship, until there's a born again experience. And that's why we're the brothers. We can experience that. And we can be one as Jesus is one of his disciples. And that is what how the whole world will know. John 17, the whole world will know that Jesus Christ, God sent Jesus Christ when we are one with him. When we are one with him. It's so important. And we need to confess this. We need to really believe that. This is part of the gospel. It's going to change us. We start crying on and believing <clears> that. And we're going to have more love for one another. And we're going to have less love. I know this is a bit long, but Let's just, I just want to show you this verse that I was talking about John chapter 15. So you can see this. <clears throat> it's the same, same principle that John had here in John chapter 4. It's, it's kind of a fearful verse, actually. I need to share it. <clears throat> John 15, verse 2. Every branch in me, who are the branches? Jesus said, I am the vine. Right? Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. The disciples are the branches. Me and you, as we overcome and abide in Jesus, we are his branches in the vine. So what does it say in verse 2? Every branch in me. Right? This is a believing saint that does not bear fruit. He takes away. What does that mean? well he explains it in verse 6 if anyone does not abide in me he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned so before we get to that place Jesus is coming and he says where is the fruit right three years there's a parable three years I came looking for fruit he's so merciful with us isn't he three years one more year that the, of the vineyard said one more year give it one more year please okay Dig it up, discipline. Dig it at the roots, fertilize it. It's going to be painful, <clears throat> but it's the only way because this is a hard heart. There, it's going to be painful, but we gotta. It's got to be fruit, otherwise <clears throat> the branches the tree's using up the ground, right? You go outside, you look at a branch. It's dried up. There's no need of pruning there. It's dead. Then it gets thrown away into the fire. So this branch is where is that branch? It was in the vine. That branch was in the vine. It was in Jesus at one point. Now he says here, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. That I might be more so there's a difference between a taking away and a pruning. A pruning is when we're denying ourselves more fruits coming. We're struggling, but we're overcoming. Jesus gives us grace, and He wants to discipline us and chastise us, so He prunes us. Now here, <clears throat> the question is: What's the difference between the branch that bears more fruit and the branch that gets dried up? What is it? What does that look like? Well, He tells us two things. I have two headings here. One is. Before verse 12, I have this heading. It says, Disciples' Relationship to Each Other. And above verse 18, it says, Disciples' Relationship to the World. Two, time, two kinds of relationships. A disciple's relationship to, to one another, with brothers, and a disciple's relationship to the world. And here's the two branches. Two branches. One that will bear fruit, and another that dries up. One that will be pruned... And grow one that gets taken away and thrown into the fire. And these branches are both in Jesus. Both of them in the vine. These are not just some guys out there. No, these are his disciples. So what's the branch in verse fruit? What fruit is he talking about? Well, he makes it very clear. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And what's going to happen? Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. You're going to overcome joy. That's one fruit. And the second thing is verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another. That is the fruit that he's looking for, that he's going to bring a pruning in you that you have love for one another. So if we're, if we're struggling, we need to ask God. We need a greater revelation of God's love towards us so we can have more love for one another as we battle different things. And that love is going to manifest that we're a branch that's bearing fruit. This fruit is, verse 17 sums it up, this I command you, that you love one another. He just repeats that over and over. Love one another. Love your brothers. Love your sisters. Lay down your life. No greater love Verse 13, is anyone that's Lay down his life for his friends, his brothers. You are my friends if you do what I command. There's our relationship. There's our fellowship. Unity between the vine and the branch is in loving one another. That's our love. That's the spirit of Christ. Now here's the spirit of Antichrist, the relationship to the world. What's going to happen is, as you're abiding in Christ, there's a natural pendulum that, as you draw near to Christ, your love towards the the brothers is going to grow, but your fellowship with the world is going to decrease and turn and fade away. You, you can't have both. It's impossible, right? A good tree can't bear good fruit, a bad fruit. It's impossible. <clears throat> and if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If, the wo- if you were of the world, that's Antichrist, right? Antichrist spirit is of the world. The ones who don't confess Jesus really overcame in the flesh. The world would love its own. So if you were of the world, you would have more fellowship with the world and the people of the world. You able the fellowship with the worldly things. I'm not talking about, you know, doing good to your enemies and these things. I'm talking about fellowship with the world. Because you are not of the world, Jesus said, I chose you out of the world. So what's going to happen is you're going to have more love, for your brothers, and less fellowship in the world, the things that are unprofitable and fruitless. But if you find in your heart that your heart is driven to the fellowship with the world and the things of the world, you're going to be the branch that starts to dry up. This is what dries up the branch. It's the fellowship with the world. The spirit of Antichrist, you start to believe these lies that Jesus wasn't quite like me and he had it different. And so I have an excuse and suddenly my flesh gets given over to these passions and lusts and my fellowship with the world changes. And my love at the same time for my brethren will decrease. It's just natural. You can't have more love for your brethren and more fellowship with the world. It just works. They're opposites. They're opposites. They're like two different branches. And so what happens is we get reviled at times. Right. Now We don't, shouldn't be going seeking for this persecution and boasting in it. That's not the purpose. The purpose is as we abide in Jesus, these things are going to happen. There's going to be resistance in the world, and people won't understand, and so we have to accept it. And why is Jesus telling us this? He's telling us this because in chapter 16, verse 1, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that you may be kept from stumbling. When you don't understand why, people who don't have the spirit of Christ who, you, who are these branches that are supposed to be in him but they're not bearing fruit and suddenly those branches are rising up against you and you're, you can't figure out why this is happening. He's telling you this so you don't stumble and start to deny the truth and believe the serpent's lies and just keep that fellowship that's not good. Because it says here they may come and think they're offering God a service and come to kill you or whatever that looks like, right? Revile you or say things or talk... Say some things to you. And so it says in verse twenty four of chapter fifteen If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father. You see why they hated Jesus? Because he was doing good things. Good deeds of the deeds of his father. His he was overcoming, he was living holy, and so that light brought resistance. And they hated him. In fact, it says here. They have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled, that is written in the law. They hated me without a cause. They start to hate you with for no good reason. Just because you're overcoming sin. Because you're loving Jesus and your fellowship is with Jesus and with the brethren. And it's not with the world, and so they don't like that because it's condemnation and they hate you. Now we don't need to despise them or get haughty because of it. No, that's not the purpose. We need to have mercy and compassion and cry out for them for the soul. But we recognize that there's not fellowship there there's no fellowship there and that natural cause and reaction is going to be there a hatred so don't be you know, surprised if these things happen to you it just means that you're starting to change your direction you're following Jesus and you want to love Jesus and so you're overcoming them that's what it means to overcome the spirit of antichrist when they revile and they hate you you've overcome and you're not getting bitter or haughty towards them you have, still have love you can say Father you know, forgive them they don't know what they're doing but you don't change direction keep following Jesus and you're going to love the brethren and then they're going to know they're going to see that on the one hand it seems like you're hating them but on the other hand they're going to find out you come home with joy and peace and they're going to see your love for true brethren they're going to shake their heads they're not going to know <clears throat> how it works because they're going to know it's, it's pure and righteous deep down but they're going to revile <clears throat> with their lips so we need to confess <clears throat> Jesus in the flesh our whole heart, <clears throat> we need to believe that, that as He is in the world, so will we. <gasps>